Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. It's a privilege to be with you guys tonight. And uh, we are starting a brand new sermon series. Uh, we just came out of our faith series, which was amazing. If you missed it, please do go listen. Um, but we're starting a new series on healthy relationships. And uh, we're going to be five weeks, we're going to be exploring this, how to make real connections. We're going to be looking at self tonight. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at friendships because they're important. We're going to be looking at dating and uh, engagement and marriage. And uh, I know you guys, and I know that when you feel like something doesn't apply to you, you tend to check out and you think, oh, cool, one Sunday off. I'm not married. I don't have to come. I want to really encourage and challenge you, whether you're single or married, don't check out because this is the Word of God. And if you missed that, in our value series that we did a few weeks ago, we spoke about how we are word-based church. And so when we preach and and when we're up here and we're sharing the Word, we're sharing the Word, and the Word is applicable to every single one of us, regardless of what status that we're in. So please don't check out, because even if you're single, you're still the bride of Christ. And when God talks about marriage, it's a reflection of our relationship with Him. So it still matters. It's still important to you, regardless of where you're at. So we're really, really excited about this series. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to be starting, and tonight we're looking at healthy me. Um, and hopefully this is working. There we go. Healthy self, healthy me. But I want to start by sharing a story. Uh, some of you might have heard me speak about it. I don't think I've spoken about it from here, but um, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm adopted, so I have family, a biological family in the UK. And in 2018, which is a scary long time ago already, I went to go visit them for about the third time. And uh, that trip in particular with the one part of the family was particularly difficult. Um, I'd just gotten divorced. I had a heart arrhythmia that was giving me trouble. And uh, so the, the, the trip was quite taxing, and particularly the relationship with uh, this part of the family Uh, I felt like I'd taken a giant step backwards, um, particularly with the one member of the family. And the reason I'm being vague is because I'm trying to protect them um, and honor them (laughs) by not revealing their stuff. Um, But on this trip, um, we had an outing to an outdoor museum, beautiful Bondart Abbey, and it's very historically significant and all these things. And remembering that I like history, um, they wanted me to go look at the museum and everything, which I did. Um, But I didn't spend a lot of time there because that's not why I was there. I was there for a relationship. I was there to be with the family and just spend time with them. And so I went outside to go join them. And, um, you know, my nephew and my niece who I'd met for the first time were there. And so they're playing and I'm trying to get into the family moment. And this person intercepted me, turned me around and said, go do your history thing. Go look at the museum. Go be independent. And um, I walked away, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, all right, they they want me to do something that I love, you know, I do like history. And within two minutes, I suddenly went, whoa, I am very, very angry. And it took me a while. Um, I ran into my brother, who just had an argument with his wife, and I was just like, can I push this person into this pond? (laughs) Um, And that was my filter working, because in my mind, it wasn't the pond, it was the ocean, uh, because this building's on a cliff. (laughs) And that's just how incredibly enraged and angry I was at what they said. And I sat and I wrestled with it for a long time. And every time, for two years, for every time I told the story, I connected with that level of rage. And 
I sat there and I remember kind of thinking, it's been two years, why am I still this angry? And I tried to wrestle with it, I'd, even in counseling, it came up, and the person counseling gave me this thing about anger and unmet expectations, and I'm sitting there going, I don't have expectations of these people, because they're family, but they're not. I have parents, I have you know, family, so this person doesn't hold that position in my life, so I was like, this doesn't connect. And, one day during lockdown, my housemate had gone home, so I was home alone, and um, confession, during lockdown, I didn't always do worship on Sundays, because YouTube only made us repeat the songs, and eventually I was like, I can't do this again. Um, so often I'd, I would skip worship and just do the sermon, but this Sunday I decided, you know what, I'm home alone, I'm going to put it through the TV, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do worship. And we're doing that song that says, I, um, I am who you say I am. And I started, I started crying. And internally I'm going, why on earth am I crying at this song? Like the last time I cried at this song was when I got divorced and I worked through all my identity stuff and, and my worth stuff and I did all the work. Why am I crying now? And immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, this is about what happened back then with that family member. And this is because they rejected you. And suddenly I went, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> Because my anger and my rage was directly proportionate to the amount of hurt that I was carrying. And that's why I was struggling so much. And until I could put words to what it was that I was feeling and experiencing, I was struggling to let it go. I, I couldn't. I tried to forgive them because I know, and I kept saying I've forgiven them, but the rage was still there. And the reason was, was because I hadn't actually dealt with the hurt that I was carrying because I hadn't managed to figure it out. <laughs> I was a bit slow. It should not have taken two years, honestly. It really, really should not, but it's fine. God is good. And since then, once I was able to do that, I was able to actually work through the hurt. The interesting thing was that it's not just that I was hurt. I incorporated what they did to me into my identity. And for two years, I walked around with the identity of I am the rejected and it changed the way that I showed up in everything. And I remember being confused because before that moment, the way that I showed up was with confidence and authority. People would comment on the way that I had friends who were just like, the way that I walked was different. And suddenly I remember before that moment thinking, where did I go? What happened? I know I'm not showing up this way. I feel so worthless. I feel so useless. And it's because I incorporated this, what this person did to me into my identity. And so it changed the way that I showed up until I dealt with it. And I was able to show up the way God meant me to again. So why am I sharing this? <laughs> All right. Because it has a lot to do. It's a beautiful example about a healthy self. It has a lot to do with those things. Before we really dive in, the, there's just something I really do want to talk about, and it's this thing about values, right? Values are so, so important. They talk about, it, it determines how we show up in the world. Our value system, our belief system, plays into all of that, what we believe. And there's a beautiful quote um, by Elaine de Geer, and it says, your core values are the driving force in your life. Living by your values is a fundamental key on your way to becoming the person you want to be, to achieve your goals and dreams, as well as to establish the basis of your relationship with yourself and others. It determines how you show up. What you choose to say yes to, what you choose to say no to, is going to be determined by the values that you hold. 
And so as we look at this series on relationships, this is something we need to keep in mind. And it's something that we need to be willing to submit to the cross of Christ. If our value system does not line up with God, we have to submit it and, and fix it. Because otherwise we're going to create a, a dissonance in our life. A cognitive dissonance, a spiritual dissonance. It's going to be a gap between what we should be and what we are. And then that becomes a problem. And then that's when we become very hypocritical because we're not showing up the way we're supposed to. And we get confused as well. And it creates a lot of problems. Um, Goldsmith and Hansen, I, I can't take credit for this. Um, Greg shared this with me. But it says that they characterize values as a stronghold surrounded by a marsh located in a hostile forest. This is the best kind of image I could find. I've got the perfect image in my head, and Google was very unhelpful. And I spent far too many hours. Um, I, oh, man. You know, I didn't even think of that. I'm too old. This AI thing scares me, so I'm just like, mm-mm. Um, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to start thinking that way now. Great, I feel old. Um, but the beautiful thing about this is it's a really lovely image, and I want you to keep it in mind tonight as we talk about, um, we're going to be talking about the wellspring of life that is in our heart. And um, the stronghold is uh, your values, the strong values that you hold, the ones that you have determined, the ones that you live by, that you're sure on, and it creates a stronghold. And it comes from doing the work on things like values and identity, right? It comes from doing the work. And when you don't do the work, what you have is a ruin. And I know because I've been there. I had a time in my life where I didn't do the work and I didn't have a strong value system. And what that meant is people could come into my life and they could speak things over me and I'd just go, oh, okay. Dumbest thing ever, what was I thinking? <laughs> How can other people know you better than you know yourself? Guys, that is not logical. They really shouldn't. Um, that means you haven't done the work. So you wanna build a good stronghold. You wanna work on these core values. And then there's the marsh. Um, the marsh is values that you haven't really engaged with, that you're not sure on. And the funny thing about marshes is that you really never know until you put your foot on it whether this ground is solid or not. <laughs> we went on a camp for school to Hogsback when I was about 11 or so, and I remember the very popular girl in the grade above me. They had a foofy slide, and you're supposed to go round on the path to it, but everybody was cutting across this marsh because it was so much easier. And she and her shiny branded shoes, uh, took a step and ended up thigh deep in rancid, disgusting marsh mud. Um, and then, of course, because she was popular, all the boys dove in to find her shoe for her, which they did. <laughs> but that's exactly what this marsh is like, right? It's, you don't know until something pushes against it what that value is. And I think we need to constantly be engaging with those things, right? This is why it's important. I think a lot of the church didn't know what their value was about the LGBTQ plus movement until things started pushing against it. And we have to engage with those things with the word of God, right? It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I think is nice. It's not about being popular or acceptable. It's about the word of God and what he says. And I've got to figure out how to communicate that in a way that is loving um, to other people. And it can be done, all right? I've, I had a lot of gay friends. They all know where I stand. Um, but they're okay, because we do it in love. Um, and then uh, the, the last part is the hostile forest. The hostile forest is the space where people reject your values. I don't mind having a hostile forest. <laughs> I really don't, because like in the dating space, my forest is predominantly categorized by people who don't like the fact that I won't sleep with them before we're married. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's fine. Be hostile. It's all good. Um, 
So yeah, that's what this is. And as we're kind of going through tonight, keep this image in mind because it's a beautiful picture of how we engage with values and why they're important. Okay, so our scripture for tonight that we're kind of that's going to run through this is keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs four twenty three. We've heard this scripture a lot when we did our Wellspring of Life series. I think it was last year that was the grounding scripture for it. It's important. All right. In the scripture, it's a direction, it's an instruction. Keep your heart. This is something God doesn't do for you, it is your responsibility. The state of your heart is your responsibility. And this is why I kind of did values first, is because that image of the stronghold, I like to think that the wellspring of life should be inside that stronghold. It's our values that help us to keep that wellspring pure and to keep it life-giving. And so that's why it's important. We keep it. Keeping also means maintaining. You see, what happened to me with that family member, I'd done my work on my identity and I felt secure in it and I was able to stand up to other very direct attacks on my identity. I remember a friend saying to me, oh, you're a woman, you're manipulative. And I took him on in public. And I was just like, no, you don't get to say that about me. That's not right. That's not true. That's not who I am. And it was a bit of an awkward moment because everyone was just like, okay. (laughs) I was just like, I'm not having it. But this was far more subtle, right? Nobody had directly attacked it, so I didn't really see it coming, and I still don't fully understand what on earth I was doing to absorb that into my identity. But I think a lot of this had to do with this. I didn't do the maintenance. All buildings need maintenance. If you've owned a house, it is the bane of your existence that nobody warns you about, is that houses constantly need to be fixed and repaired, and the plumbing and the gutters and the, oh, it's not something I miss. But this is it, it's our responsibility to work on building the fort, on keeping it and maintaining those things and making sure that we are constantly sitting before the cross of Christ and submitting things to him and saying, Lord, does this line up with what you say? And when it doesn't, we chuck it out and we adopt what God says about these things. It's so important. And this wellspring, the springs of life, it's meant to be life-giving. When we don't do the work, that spring becomes contaminated. And the first person it's going to injure is you. And then it's going to flood into every other relationship you have, including your relationship with God and other people. And it's going to bring contamination and toxicity. The worse it gets. It is so important that we do this. All right. I moved on without even realizing it. In Matthew 12, 34, 35, it says, for out of the the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's going on inside here manifests in out here, right? Behavior starts with what's happening inside. And so if I want to change the way that I'm showing up and I want to show up in a godly way, it's got to start internally. That scripture goes on to say, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What flows out of you starts with inside what's going on there. Okay, so talking about healthy me, we first and foremost need to understand there is no healthy me without God. 
The world tells us different theories, and, and because God's principles apply all the time and we discover things about ourselves, a lot of the things that we hear there on Instagram and stuff are good things. It is good to sleep well. It is good to eat well. It is good to, to what was the third thing? <laughs> Exercise. <laughs> the thing I like the least is the one I forgot the most. <laughs> wow, that wasn't at all revealing. Um, those are all good things, and everybody knows that, Right. But for us as Christians, we need to understand not everything the world tells us is what God says. Because God's kingdom is kind of upside down, right? Like it is more blessed to give than to receive. (laughs) But you know some major companies out there have tapped into that and they figured that out. A lot of the major corporations have really big social responsibility things because they've recognized, ah, there's something that happens when we give. Um, Because God's principles remain. It rains on the wicked as well as the good, right? So we have to understand that my relationship with God, if I want a healthy me, my relationship with God is where this starts, and it is the most important part. And I'm not just doing that, though, for the the means to an end, right? Healthy me is not a goal. It's a lifelong journey that you never finish. It's not the way that you're going to catch, and I'm going to challenge that later, catch a good mate, right, a good partner. If I'm a healthy me, then yay, I can get the, the nice husband or the nice wife and I'm going to win at dating. That's not the point because your first relationship is with yourself and I hate to break it to you, you're stuck with you for eternity. That's right. yep. Yep. <laughs> I love the voice of terror coming from, you know, the side of my room is my favorite. There's always drama on this side. I love it so much, but it, it's the truth. You are taking you into eternity and so... Yeah, (laughs) even I struggle to process that because sometimes I really, really wish I could get away from myself. I really do. I wish I could make myself shut up and go away, and I can't. And so that's my first relationship. And so healthy me, I have to constantly be working on so that... um... (laughs) I was trying so hard not to lose my thoughts. But yeah, I have to constantly be working on that. And the best way to do that is with God. And part of that is because, first and foremost, God gave me salvation. And that meant that, because part of the struggle, right, is that no matter how much I apply all these good things that I hear about, no matter how much I do the good psych things and, you know, the deep breathing and the whatever it is, the journaling, the gratitude journal, um, which we know from a few weeks ago is not my favorite thing to do, the, the more that we do these things, sometimes there's still things that we struggle with and we just can't get there, right? We see on Instagram all these people whose New Year's resolution was get fit and they succeeded. I'll put money on the table that there's at least five resolutions they're failing at. Because in our humanity, that's the way it is. We struggle. We've got a sinful nature that likes to do its own thing. You know, Paul says, I do the things that I shouldn't do and I don't do the things that I should. And so we need God, and God offers us salvation, and the beauty about what God did is that he gives us a new spirit. And this spirit, unlike my sinful nature, is geared towards righteousness, and he gives it to me to help me to live the way that I'm supposed to live, that I was ordained to live, that I was created to live in holiness and in righteousness. And it's, it's fun because those two natures clash a lot. <laughs> and uh, make us very uncomfortable because suddenly we're very aware of these things. But we'll come back to that. But this is, um, 
what God does, he gives us salvation. That's the first thing. He gives us grace that enables us and teaches us to say no to sin. So he continues the work in us. God is the only one who can truly transform us from the inside out. There's some things I can do to a degree, but real transformation only comes through the power of God because of my nature that is counted to him and him coming in and providing me with a new spirit, a new heart, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit he gives to us, Jesus described him as the one who will lead you to all truth. He speaks only what the Father says. And the Holy Spirit is there to convict me when I'm doing sin and the morally gray little bit, right? Because we like our loopholes when it comes to sin, don't we? It's not technically sin. You know, we, we didn't actually sleep together. We did some stuff, but we didn't actually, you know, have sex. And then there's that discomfort in you, and that's the Holy Spirit going, yeah, that's still not okay. <laughs> you might not, you know, I mean, you won't go to hell because if you're saved, you're saved. But, um, you know, it's not good. You're contaminating your wellspring. You're actually allowing impurity in there. And the Holy Spirit convicts you of that. And so there aren't these morally gray spaces. And this is why, as Christians, we do not fall for the morally gray character in books. <laughs> Please don't stop it. It's not okay. It's not healthy. Okay? All those lovely books and shows. All right. So... Corinthians 13, verse 4, we're talking still about relationship with God, right? So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. Oh, this is the wedding scripture, right? It's like quoted at every Christian scripture and a lot of non-Christian ones. This is how we're supposed to relate to each other and, and treat each other and, and be nice to each other, right? And this is the interesting thing I find about the scripture is so often we passively, aggressively wield it as a weapon against other people. You see, if you love me, you'll be kind and you'll be nice to me. And if you love me, you're not going to insist on your own way all the time. You're going to let me have mine. And if you love me, uh, you're going to bear all my moods and all my nasty little things that I do when I'm hangry. I don't have to apologize about the things I said because you love me. And you're going to believe all things and hope all things and you're going to endure all the things that we put each other through because, you know, love never ends and that's love. And that's not what this is about <laughs> at all. And we need to stop doing that. See, I'm, I'm not responsible for other people. I'm responsible for me. That scripture says, keep your heart. I cannot tell you how to show up all the time. I can hold you to account to the word of God, but it's your decision to, to show up that way. I'm responsible and I will give account for mine. Um, when I stand before God one day, I don't get to pass the buck. Yeah, but he did this. God's going to go like, that's fine. I'll chat to him, but what about you? See, Adam and Eve tried that, the passing the buck thing, and God ignored it, and he still held each of them equally accountable for what they did. So don't think that you can pass the buck. This is about you. This is what you need to be. The interesting thing that I love about this is the Word of God tells us that God is love. It's part of his, his nature. It's inherent in who he is. So whenever we read about love in the Bible, we're reading about who God is. So let's reread this properly. God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. It is, he is not irritable or resentful. 
He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He never ends. That's beautiful, right? Look how God's showing up for me. Because this is how he is to us. I want to point out, because I'm sure it's a a bit confusing, because I'm, yeah, um, he doesn't insist on his own way. See, if God did insist on his own way, there would be no free will because love is a choice, it's not a feeling. We always get caught up in how nice love feels, because it does feel nice, but love is ultimately a choice. And if you've been married for like nine months or more, you'll know love is a choice, (laughs) all right? Any relationship, your siblings, you know love is a choice. Your parents, I have to constantly choose to love my parents because they drive me crazy. They're supposed to, they're my parents, they love me. (laughs) But, I want to challenge another way that we look at this, in that this is how I'm supposed to show up in my relationship to God. It goes both ways. But now this is confusing to us, right? Because love is patient. Well, why do I need to be patient with God? God is perfect, right? Because this challenges the way that we view patience, because we tend to view patience as this forbearing attitude towards people who irritate us. And we get this this look on our face. And then we kind of crunch our knuckles and I'm being patient because <laughs> I'm not losing my temper. But it's so much more than that. I have to be patient with God because God's going to make me wait. Not because he's not perfect, but because he's going to make me learn how to wait. And I have to learn how to do that. And I learn how to do that by knowing that God is patient with me and that God is perfect and his timing is therefore perfect. And so I can trust him in the waiting But sometimes we've got to learn how to do that. And so this is why I need patience. And if I love God, I will be patient in the waiting. Love is kind, doesn't envy or boast, uh, um, is not arrogant or rude. Very often the way we speak to God is unkind, it is arrogant, and it is very rude. We speak to God in ways that we would never speak to our parents or our grandparents or people that we love to. Lord, you've forgotten me. You're not doing anything to help me. Wow. Can we please understand God owes us nothing because he already did everything. He has completed the work and he has done everything to enable us to have relationship with him. And yet we talk to him like he owes us something. He is our creator. We belong to him. He didn't have to do anything. He could have left us in our sin and let us suffer the consequence of choosing to ally with with Satan and suffer the punishment. Instead, before he even created us, he made a plan to enable that we could have relationship with him and not have to share in the consequences of the choices that we made. That's love. And we speak to him with such arrogance and such rudeness, instead of being honest and saying, Lord, I'm really struggling because I can't see what you're doing. And I'm not sure what's going on. And I'm feeling a bit insecure about this. Can you please throw me? What are you doing? What's happening? What do I need to do? Where do I need to position myself? Can you hear the difference? Can you hear the difference? That's more kind. And it's, it's still being honest about the fact that you're struggling with where you're at but it's treating God with the reverence that he deserves as our God and our savior. It's treating him with love. 
So I'm responsible for my relationship with God and what that looks like because God's already done everything. He never leaves my side. If I feel like there's a distance between us, it's because there's something I need to address. We are so quick to fix things in our physical relationships, right? Our other relationships. Babe, what's wrong? You know, something's a little off. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? With God, though, we'll leave it. Oh, God's withdrawn from me. God doesn't like me anymore. But we're so quick to fix other relationships. But his is the first relationship. It's also the eternal relationship. As much as I'm stuck with me forever, I'm going to be with him forever if I've chosen him. I'm going to be with him. So work on the relationship. Work on your part. Do what is your responsibility. Spend time with him. Pursue him. Love him. I cannot have a genuine relationship with God that leaves me unchanged. You should be changing because God's always addressing these things. Our values, our morally gray areas, our relationship with others. I know one day I'm going to have to go back and fix that relationship with the person I haven't spoken to in over three years. I know I'm going to have to because I know that God put me there for a reason. Today is not that day. <laughs> it's probably going to be tomorrow, knowing my luck. Um, but we have to do the work, right? And God, God does that. He prods us and he nods us and he, he helps us to grow. He wants us to become mature. He wants us to be healthy in the way that we show up. So part of this is that it, it leads to the revelation of sin, right? Because like I said, we've got these two natures inside of us. And the one is God's spirit, and the one is my sinful nature, and they clash. And here's something. We need to learn to be comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I had a chat with a, a young lady this week um, about a friendship she was struggling with, and she was like, you know, I don't know whether I should keep it or end it. And I was like, are those the only options? <laughs> um, because, and part of that came from this place, and I understand it, of we need to resolve things because we don't like holding them when they're uncomfortable. We want to sort it out so that we can walk away and, and carry on with life and feel good. And the reality is when God convicts us, when the Holy Spirit prods things in our lives, it's very uncomfortable because I'm warring with these natures. There's something I want to do, but God is saying, you can't do that, and then I'm stuck because I really want to do the thing. And God's saying, no, <laughs> it's not good for you. Even if it's not sin, it's still not good. We're going to look at a really, really strong scripture. <laughs> Galatians 5, 16 and 24. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's why. <laughs> That's God's grace. That's God's grace. He doesn't want you to live in sin. He doesn't want you to keep doing the things you're not supposed to do. So he gave you a new spirit. It's, he says so in Isaiah, I will give them a new spirit. In the New Testament, he talks about, I will give you a heart of flesh to replace your heart of stone. That is his love and his grace and action to keep you from doing the things that will separate you from him. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident because why? What happens in my heart comes out in the way that I behave and the things that I say. Sexual immorality. I'm going to pause here a little bit for dramatic effect. 
It's very uncomfortable. Some of you are squirming internally. I don't know who you are, just to let you know. This is not to shame you. This is not to shame you. This is God trying to tell you that what you're doing is going to separate you from him. He is very clear, and in case you didn't know it, I'm going to tell you again, sex outside of marriage is wrong. It is not God's will for you. It is not God's heart. Please don't think that you can get away with it and that nothing's going to happen just because you haven't been caught. You might not be catching things that require antibiotics. You might not be bringing new life into the world, but there are consequences. And I just want to sit here for a moment. There's a difference between consequence and punishment, but we tend to use them as synonyms. Consequence can be good or bad. It is something that follows after. So when I make a decision, there is something that follows after that is a consequence. A punishment is a distinctly punitive measure for a wrongdoing. Hell is a punitive measure for choosing to rebel against God and ally with sin. And the consequence of not choosing God is that you are a natural participant of that receptor of that punishment because God doesn't play favorites. And because God is a just God and the punishment has to, there has to be justice. But this is why Jesus. God didn't send Jesus to manipulate us out of, you know, like choose Jesus or you go to hell. That's not actually, that's true because that's a natural consequence. But God didn't create hell as punishment for us not choosing him. He sent Jesus so that we wouldn't have to partake of the punishment. It's a very distinct difference. So please, don't think that there are not consequences to you disobeying God deliberately. And if you do, you know now, I've told you very clearly, it's wrong. So if you do it, you are disobeying God. Sorry. <laughs> I feel bad for being harsh. <laughs> it's the scripture. It is absolutely true. And you will feel it. Jordan Peterson says he's never seen anybody who does wrong not pay for it. It doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily be called up here. We were never going to shave your head and stamp you with a red letter. I promise that's not the way it is. But please don't think it doesn't cost you. Impurity, sensuality, basically, not a word we use very often, basically sexiness, right? I love Caroline Webb whenever she does victory training, when she does sexual, um, the sexual sin section, she always talks about what, um, what are you trying to catch with your bait, all right. I want to take that a step further. Why are you fishing? This is not a sport. It's not a sport. You're looking for a partner to do life with, and you will partner with them in every way, physically, spiritually, emotionally. It's not a game. It's not a sport. Stop fishing. What are you trying to catch? You're looking for a partner, so be somebody that somebody actually wants to be with. Do the work on yourself. Being married is not the goal. It's a beautiful blessing. It's a wonderful thing. I have been there. But it's not the goal. Being in a relationship with God is the thing that we live for. All good things come from that. All right, so sexiness. Idolatry, putting anything in the place of God or ahead of God or in places that it doesn't belong is idolatry. Sorcery, the Bible equates manipulation with sorcery. All right, because it's unnatural. Manipulation is trying to get a result from something or get somebody to do something out of sight of their will. Yeah. That is sorcery. The Bible's very strong on sorcery. 
don't do it, exactly. And this is why when the guy tried to call me man, uh, manipulative because I was a woman, I took him on about it, because I will not be associated with this. All right? It's not who God created me to be. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all of those are relational. All of those about how we relate to each other. Do yourself a favor, go look up enmity. Because <laughs> I did, and ouch. <laughs> all right? It's... It's the way we behave in church. We, we pick people who are other, and we're, we're just plain old nasty to them. Guys, these things, are, God takes them seriously. These are works of the flesh. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Okay, those we know. <laughs> Please don't do them either. It's important. <laughs> I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God not as a punishment for not behaving the way God wants you to, but because you cannot partake of the kingdom of God if you are not doing kingdom things, godly things. If you're not living in a godly way, if you're not pursuing God and pursuing holiness, you cannot take part of the kingdom of God. It's not punishment. It's fact. It's the way that it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. It is a continual thing that we do when the Holy Spirit nudges us and says, girl, you're not being kind. I have to submit to God. It is not always easy. I have, over the past like two years, I had to learn a value, I had to put a value in place about how I treat others when I don't like them and when they're being, and I know that there's enmity, right? That they're treating me unfairly. And I had to decide that their behavior does not determine mine. God's values do. It's not easy. You know, the world tells us this, right? Um, if you don't respect me, I won't respect you. That's not kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is I'm still going to honor you because I know God loves you as much as he loves me. Do you know God loves Putin? <laughs> he does. God loved Adolf Hitler. God loved Favut as much as he loved Mandela, as much as he loves our current leaders. God loves them. And when I understand how God loves me, I look at you, and I have to see how much God loves you. And that changes the way that I'm going to show up. So, when I'm submitting to Christ, and when I'm living in this way, and I'm guarding my heart, I have to learn how to repent. When I see these things in my life in any size, way, shape, or form, when I'm living in morally gray areas and the Holy Spirit convicts me, I have to make it a habit and a lifestyle to learn how to repent quickly. Don't wait. Don't sit there feeling guilty and bad and unworthy. That's not kingdom. God says that when we repent, he remembers our sin no more. Now, God is not forgetful because he's perfect. All right? He has a perfect memory. He chooses not to call those things to memory when he looks at you and you repent because of the blood of Jesus that's on you. He sees Jesus, and so he chooses not to see your sin. So what right do you have to sit and wallow? 
If God chooses not to remember it, why do you keep digging it up? It's a rotten, stinking corpse. Leave it alone. Leave it alone, cis man. It was, it was an imagery that helped me when I was, I'd backslid terribly, and when I came back to God, I struggled a lot with shame. And it was the thing that my ex said to me, and it's the one thing I'm seriously grateful for him for saying, is this thing of like, every time that thing comes up, take it back to the cross. Put it back at the cross, that's where it belongs. Don't pick it up again. It's not who you are. So I have to learn how to repent. And remember that repentance is not a horrible thing. It's not an awful thing. It is very, very simple. It's recognizing that there is a lie or there is something that I'm, I'm doing that is not of God, and I'm saying i no longer going to do this thing. I no longer believe this thing. Instead, I align myself to the truth of God, and I turn my back on that thing, and I follow Jesus. That's it. And that's beautiful. That's fantastic. Rejoice every time you repent because you're growing, and you're becoming healthy, and you're guarding your heart. It's fantastic. Don't sit and wallow in shame. The Bible says there is no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're feeling shame, rebuke it. Address it. Greg always says, shame is the lies that I believe about myself. The enemy is trying to tell you a lie. Address it, rebuke it, ally yourself with the truth of God, and carry on. If you need help, get help. The Bible says the prayer of a, a godly man is powerful and effective you need someone to stand with you in prayer, come, we'll stand with you in prayer. We want to see you the same way God does, living in victory, overcoming sin. We have to learn, so we also have to learn how to receive that forgiveness, right? And that's an act of faith. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's, it's a choice, all right? I choose to receive forgiveness because I trust that when I repent, God forgives me, and I stand on that every time, and I learn how to receive that forgiveness and walk free. I also have to practice forgiving others. And I know that this is hard because <laughs> I'm a counselor <laughs> and because I do, I do foundations and every time it's a short, short chapter, repentance and forgiveness, but we will take the whole hour and occasionally the hour and a half because people struggle with this. It's hard to forgive others. And you might be justified in the anger that you're holding on to and the resentment. I felt justified because it's hard to be rejected by someone who's not supposed to reject you, least of all for the second time in your life. Complete and utter rejection. I don't deserve that. I'm not nasty. I'm not horrible. I think I'm fairly delightful. I didn't, I didn't deserve it because I didn't live up to expectations, whatever it was. I don't think it was easy for Jesus to be accused of things he didn't do, to be whipped. And we know what that whip did to him. It was not a simple whip. It ripped his flesh and his bone. I don't think it was easy for him to have a crown of thorns thrust on his head. I mean, I've had an acacia thorn graze my foot. That thing stung. This was pierced into his skull. I don't think it was easy for them, him to have to then carry the cross on his back. And that thing was heavy. And he was already wounded lost a lot of blood, and he carried it across Jerusalem and up a hill. I don't think it was easy for him to stand there, creator of everything and everyone, and allow them to drive nails through his hands and feet. I don't think it was easy for him to take three di days to die while being mocked, watching people turn his back on him. The, the crowd who said crucify him was the same crowd who followed him throughout the three years of his ministry. His disciples abandoned him. 
Peter disowned him. I don't think that was easy. And yet in that moment when he gets stabbed through, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And I want to stand here and mock what he did by saying, well, it's hard. It's hard for me to forgive. That's rude. It's unkind. And it is arrogant. And that is not love. I know it's hard. And I know God will walk out that thing with you to help you forgive. It's a decision, though, that you've got to start making. Start making it. When it comes to values, a young Pharisee approached Jesus trying to trick him. And the Pharisees had hundreds of laws. And he says to Jesus, which is the greatest? And Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul. And then he says a second one, he says, the second of these is love others as you love yourself. And it's so beautiful because honestly, if I just do the first, the second comes naturally. Because I cannot love God and not love others because I recognize how he loves me. I cannot do those things. I cannot be unchanged. I cannot stay the way that I am. That song that we sang in worship, I don't want to be who I was. I don't want to be the way that I was. I want to I be who God wants me to be. And that's what we pursue. And we start with this. We love God with every iota of our being. And we learn how to love others. We allow God to change us so we can show up in those relationships. We guard our hearts. We guard the wellspring of life so that we bring life. As we kind of land for today, I really hope that what you take away with the, from this is the thing of love, of loving God and loving others because everything flows from there. The way that I show up comes from putting those two values in place and guarding them and keeping them and making them strong. But I, want to, I don't want to leave this moment without giving an opportunity to those who don't know Jesus. If you don't know Him, if you haven't made him savior, if you haven't chosen life, please don't leave this place the way that you are. Allow him to come in. Allow him to change you into everything that he called you to be. There is no greater freedom than being who God created you to be. I know because I've lived both lives. I've never been more miserable when I tried to do it on my own. Honestly, I might have seemed more free because I could do what I wanted, but my word was I chains. If that's you, if you're feeling that in your heart, if you want to know God as Savior as, as, and start this relationship with Him, can we all just stand for a moment? We can just close our eyes. If this is you tonight and you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, won't you please just raise your hand? We're not going to make you do anything funny. I just want to see and I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here tonight? Maybe you feel like you're far from God. You've neglected your relationship with Him. And you feel that distance. And you want to make it right. You want to come back to the arms of the Father. You can raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. What I'm going to ask you to do is to be really, really brave and I'm gonna ask you to come to the front. It's not to embarrass you, it's because we wanna pray with you, and more than that, we wanna celebrate. Can we please just celebrate as this young man comes forward? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Thank you so much. Okay. 
Yes. The Bible tells us that when we respond, the whole of heaven celebrates. All the angels and God celebrates for the one soul that has returned to Him. And this is why we celebrate this moment. So we just want to pray with you. If you can pray after me, Lord Jesus, today I, I recognize that I'm not in relationship with you, that I'm not right with you. And I come before your throne of grace to make it right. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Cleanse me of all my sin. And fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we clap again?